What is going on, everybody? Welcome back this week to another amazing, guys, and very important episode of The Superman Life. Before we dive into today's guest and conversation, I just want to take a moment and remind you how incredibly grateful and thankful we are to have you here with us today. Joining me on the show is somebody I have been a fan of and looking at bringing on the show for a really, really long time. Our guest today is Matt Boudreau. As a lifelong educator, Matt has a reputation as a provocative thought leader in educational and personal development practices. He is a two-time featured TEDx speaker, and he was named Corporate Trainer of the Year at Stanford University, having spoken to over 250,000 people worldwide. He is also the co-founder of the Apogee Strong Schools and Programs for Men and Women, which we're going to dive into all about that in the conversation. He's a co-founder of that with his partner, Tim Kennedy. Now, in this episode, Matt and I are going to discuss the difference between being a teacher and an educator and how an educator goes far beyond the system and focuses on the individual, why teacher perpetrates the system. We're going to talk about the DNA traits of a great educator, which include genuinely loving people, seeing patterns, and being curious. And we're going to discuss how the current education system is not designed for proper human development and lacks real-life preparation. For you parents out there, we're going to discuss how you play a crucial role in education and should strive to be continuous learners yourselves and how it is important for parents to make an effort to opt out of the current education system and seek alternative educational systems that align with their core values and goals. We're also going to talk about the role that modeling behavior and personal responsibility play and how they are keys in education and life. Because this is a jam-packed episode, and it's one that I've been really excited about having for a really long time. I've gone down the rabbit hole of looking at the origin of the modern education system. And if you haven't, it is definitely something that you're going to want to do after hearing this conversation here today. Without further ado, guys, let's get into today's episode with Matt Boudreaux, how we can raise better leaders, strong children through alternative education systems. We love you guys. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. Each week, we bring you real and raw conversations with the world's leading experts in faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom to provide you with real actionable tools to break limiting beliefs, take action, and shatter the glass ceiling on your life's potential. So jump on board and join me on this journey as we dive into today's conversation and unlock the keys to you becoming the man you were born to be and creating your own superhuman life. Matt, I know you've been working in the education system for a very long time, I think 20 plus years. Talk to me about the difference between a teacher and an educator. Mm, that's a great question, man. Um, and I'll preface it by saying there's a difference, I believe, a difference between school and education. And I don't think those are the same thing. I think um, school, and when I say I think, in my experience in a couple of decades in higher education, public education, private education, building my own schools, working with organizations all over the world, um, school is a very specific recipe. Uh, it was not designed uh, based on human development. Um, it was... 
designed for something that I think is a little more um, partially in, in, insidious, um, but definitely not as effective. So a teacher operates very well in school, and, and I don't, I'm not knocking teachers. There are really good humans in really bad systems. Um, but a teacher doesn't mean they're necessarily an educator. A teacher is somebody who comes in and perpetuates the system as is. They hold those boundaries. Um, they hold that narrow view. They hold the line and they make sure that everybody calibrates themselves to that specific system. An educator is somebody that says, no, I'm going to calibrate my approach to that specific individual, right? That's the difference. The teacher is focused on the system and I'm going to fit everybody in the system. The educator goes, no, I'm going to figure out who this person is and I'm going to see what is that person great at? What are they not great at? Where do they want to go? Where are they right now? What are the skills they have? What are the skills they want? How do they fit in? What are the patterns I'm seeing? Where can I push? Where can I prod? Where can I provide other resources? Where can I agitate? Where can I? The educator uh, comes alongside that person to really draw out the best of that person, as well as helps find other resources to then scaffold a roadmap so that person can go, here's my best version now, and here's the best version later, and how do I get there, right? It's a much more difficult thing, and I do believe it's a DNA trait, um, you know, because you actually genuinely have to love and care about humans to be able to see those patterns. So to me, that's that's the difference. Yeah, I, I love that, man. And I love that you said that it's a, it's a DNA trait. You know, I've become known as as Coach Frank Rich. You know, it's it's all of our socials. Uh, it's the work I do with men is, is I'm a coach and I make it very clear. Like I'm not here to, you know, to be a therapist counselor for you. I'm here as a coach. You know, we're going to formulate a plan to move direction forward in a direction for a new vision for your life outside of the professional work. I coach sports, uh, you know, I coach youth sports, you know, to the, to, to the best of my ability. And I think I've tried, I've said this many times. If like I was given any gift from God, I think it was that, I mean, I can remember, almost feeling like a coach as a boy growing up, like organizing sports. Like I was kind of the neighborhood kid that, you know, painted the lines on the street, called all the kids together, organized the basketball, organized football. I truly do think that it is a gift. So when it comes to the DNA of an educator, what are some of those traits or characteristics that would make somebody a great educator? That's a great question too, man. Um, so I think there's a, there are a number of different traits. And so I want to make it very clear. There are educators who are in really bad systems, there are career. I was one of those. I was a, I'm somebody who I very much believe what you just said, what you just outlined and, and the traits that I'm going to give. I very much believe um, those were, you know, God given gifts for me as well. And I was in a system that then handcuffed me so that I could not use it. I was in a system that said, Hey, you're an educator, but I need you to be a teacher. Right. And so then I was always most, most will acquiesce. I was what I called creatively insubordinate. And, and it's, I was an HR nightmare on a school campus because there was no way I was going to be um, to be a teacher. So I think to, to be an educator, some of those traits, one, you do genuinely have to love people. That is a big part. I have had PhDs that have worked for me at various you know campuses that couldn't, I mean, couldn't educate their way out of a paper bag because they actually didn't really like people. Right. There was an inherent like I don't really like kids. I don't necessarily like adults. I just don't. I'd rather kind of be by myself. But I knew how to play the game of school. Well, I always did well at school. And so now I'm in a career where I've 
right? I think an educator genuinely loves people. Uh, an educator is somebody who sees patterns. So they pay attention. And paying attention is something that I have found over two decades is a very rare quality. It's a very rare trait. People do not pay attention. People will get distracted and give their attention to a distraction, but they won't proactively pay attention and and direct their intention towards something that matters. And then they will not take the time to think. Jung said most people uh, judge because thinking is hard, right? So they won't take a time to think about what they're giving their attention to, what they're seeing and going, okay, how does this connect to other things around me? How, what, what pattern does this uh, remind me of from the past? What, like educators are always thinking that way. Um, and because of that, another another part of that is an educator is curious. I think that's the third trait, right? They're curious. Um, they're never taking the stance of, um, I know everything. I've got it all figured out and I've got all the answers. So I'm here to disseminate the answers. They're going, man, I'm, I'm, I'm operating with the best of my knowledge. I'm thinking through this over and over and over again, but I'm going to go ahead and be brave enough to change my mind if better evidence is now presented because I'm curious enough to follow that thread, even if everybody is saying, stop following the thread, even if culture says, knock it off, you're not one of us, you're not, they're going to be brave enough to go ahead and curious enough to continue. So to me, that's, those are some of the marks of a true educator. Yeah, I love that, man. And kind of bringing it back to the the coach here analogy as well. You know, I think we just saw, you know, two of the greatest pro professional coaches of all time, you know, Belichick and Saban retired on the same day. You know, I was thinking about there was that national championship game a couple of years ago where Saban, you know, literally halftime, I think he pulled the starting QB. You know, they were down. It was like this was a guy that got them there, pulled him out. You know, he was ability to change the game plan in real time. And I think it was that trait, you know, through the span of his career, you know, obviously he had the information. He was interested in what was going on, but the ability to navigate the system and know in real time, like we can't go with the game plan that we spent two weeks in preparation. We need to make a decision right now, change the course of direction. I think there's the same thing kind of running in consistency here with the educator part. Well, it's like, we're, you know, we're going to be in this system, but if I got this unique kid here right there that is, you know, not going to be able to follow this, I got to figure out what's going to make it click for him and be able to pull that lever. That's right. And you got it. Not only do you have to see it and be curious enough to pay attention to those things, you got to be brave enough to do it, right? Because you're going to make that call that goes completely against the system. It goes completely against what everybody else is currently comfortable with. We like to say these cliches of like, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and everybody will repeat the right, everybody will repeat it. But man, almost nobody lives it. And you find that out very, very quickly when you're the person that does believe it and goes, all right, man, cool. Let's, let's buck the system. This is what we need to do right now. Just wait and see the amount of pushback you get. Wait and see how much fear that elicits. Uh, so you got to be brave to do that as well. I want to go back and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, our current education system. You know, I, I did go down the rabbit hole a little bit a couple years back, uh, you know, the John Taylor Gattos and kind of, you know, the origin of our schooling system. I know very few people because when I'll bring it up, it's like you kind of get this pushback and kind of get these weird looks like, oh, it's just this regular school system thing. So let's kind of explore that here a little bit if we can. Like, you know, what is wrong, I guess, that most people don't know about our current, you know, I think you call it the conveyor belt. Uh, schooling system. I'm glad you went down that, that rabbit hole, man. And that's 
this is a, a system, this conveyor belt model. And I call it the conveyor belt model because I don't want to just stamp it on the government schools um, because a lot of people say, yeah, that's uh, people will champion what I'm saying. A lot of times they go, yeah, that's right. And that's why we go to this private school and I'll take a look at that private school and go, oh, so you're essentially paying for the exact same experience, right? It's not, this is not any different guys. Um, it makes you feel better maybe, but um, it's not any different. So it's that specific model um, itself was not developed with the human in mind, <laughs> meaning it wasn't developed based on how someone actually develops in a good way. It was based on a management principle of how do you get a population to turn off anything that uh, would would create innovation? How do you get them to accept obedience? How do you get them to live apathetically? Like, what would that look like from a large scale? It's a scientific management of human behavior. That's very different than what people think it is. They assume it is a scientific management of human development. It's the opposite of that, right? It's, it's like, how do we get them to go the other way? So that's what it was actually developed for. And the reason that um, we have so many people who that that's a weird uh, thought for them is because it's now an experiment that's been around for, you know, 120, 130, 140 years. Right. And so the problem is Frank doesn't know anybody that's 130 years old. Neither does Matt. Right. Neither. So in fact, because it's been that length, our parents likely grew up in that system and shoot, their parents may have too. Like we're getting to that point. So now it's just, you've always been told that this is what education looks like and that that is the, is the necessary building block for any sort of success. So even when we start to show you stories of people who have succeeded outside of it, you start to think, okay, well, that must just be an anomaly. Or we start to point out the fact that everybody knows somebody who crushed it in school and then got out and life was like, hey, and they kind of kicked him in the nuts, right? We all know those people, but we have a hard time reconciling it because we grew up in this cult. And you ever try to take somebody out of the cult with logic? You try to take somebody out of the cult with logic, they still want to do cult shit. Like they don't do, they, they still go back to that, right? It's just so deeply ingrained. And so culturally speaking, that's deeply ingrained for us, man. And so that's why I point people to things like John Taylor Gatto. And, you know, he does a great, a great job of going, look, this is where this system came from. This is what it was designed for. Um, and then we start telling the stories of, you know, uh, other people outside of that who have been doing some great things. So that's my biggest beef is that it's not meant for human development. So you get really, really good at being really, really apathetic. You get really good at a game that does not help you later on. You set 18 years of, you know, or, or 12, I guess, whatever, 12, 13, 14, depending on if you go to college, 17, 18, 18 years of making a habit of trying to get as good as you can at school. And the world goes, I don't give a shit. Like, to me, that's a problem. That's a big, giant waste. And it's not just a waste of 18 years. It puts you at a disadvantage. If I shoot free throws every day, I shoot 500 free throws every day, and I do it for 18 years, 
with the thought that at the end of 18 years, I'm going to be a, a worse shooter? No. You're, there's no way to be a bad shooter. 500 free throws a day for 18 years? Of course you're going to be good. So cool. What does that mean? 500 free throws a day for 18 years is essentially you being apathetic every day for 18 years. You learning how to be apathetic and to take orders and to be obedient. I'm obedient. I'm obedient. I'm taking orders. I'm apathetic. You tell me what to do. You tell me who to be. You tell me. And you think all of a sudden at the end of that, you're not going to be that person. It's going to be a struggle. That's my biggest beef. Yeah, it's like shooting free throws 500 times a day for 12 years to think that by the end of it, you're going to be a better field goal kicker. It's like, you know, like you said, it's getting ready. You know, it's preparing you for school. In reality, life is the complete opposite of school. Yeah. So you mentioned educator recognizes patterns. What are, what are some of the patterns that maybe somebody can see in the current schooling system that could maybe potentially begin to reveal some red flags about how this isn't preparation for life? Uh, you look at the, the basic structure of school itself, right? Um, the age segregation. I mean, one of the most, one of the uh, most obvious patterns is the fact that everybody said, Frank, can I ask you how old you are? 40. Shit, Frank, I'm 44. Why are we talking? Right? Why are we talking? Because I'm four years older. So doesn't that automatically mean you're supposed to revere me and I'm supposed to look down on you and we're not really supposed to hang out or have conversation? Obviously, that's ridiculous. But school is very much set up that way. And so you get these weird social constructs that happen because of that too, right? You get these weird like look up to the older kids, look down on the younger kids, this weird segregation. And then we've got to build these cliques and these tribes in here, kind of like they do in prison where they also don't have a voice, right? You build a clique and a tribe um, so that you can look down on another group because that's the only thing that's going to give you power, right? So you get put in this weird false social construct too. So you got the age segregation where you're not working with, with people who are different ages. You've got um, these weird social constructs. Everybody talks about socialization. What, like, there is no other system that would, would you get a job that was like, Hey man, um, we're hiring. Um, you know, you're going to, uh, we're going to treat you like Pavlov's dog. Um, you're going to come in and you're going to just get to work on a task that you don't like and don't care about. And then we're going to ring a bell and you're going to also go from there. We're going to walk in a straight line, you and all the other guys you work with. Um, you're going to walk in a straight line, no talking when you go building to building, by the way. Um, and then when you get in there, you're going to uh, get right to another task um, that you actually don't like um, too. And, and make sure you're not talking while you're in there either. And if you have to go to the bathroom, make sure you raise your hand and ask your boss. Your boss might let you go. Your boss might not let you go. Um, and hey, by the way, at the end of this day, you're going to take a bunch of that work home uh, every single day, right? You're going to take that home every day. And here's like the good news. Um, you're also not going to get paid um, for that, right? Like here... Who would take that freaking job? Like nobody, but that's, that's what we're practicing over and over and over. Who's this faux authority? Who do we obey? Right? So you've got, you've got that, you've got the patterns of, of, of speaking like um, subjects are a real thing. You've got patterns of speaking like um, there's such thing as a grade level. Like, what does that mean? If I asked Frank what grade he's in, he'd be like, that's a weird question. It's only, it's only not weird to ask a kid because we've been trained that it's not weird to ask a kid. That's a weird question. It's not real. 
Like that's not a real thing. So the entire structure is a pattern that doesn't transfer. And again, that's indicative of a system versus reality when you can only do something or there's certain language or there's certain lingo that only matters to that system, right? And it doesn't transfer to real life. Those are patterns that we can look. So if you're going to label it that way, almost everything in the design of school represents one of those patterns. None of it transfers. And it's interesting, man, because I'm sure you, much like me, you know, we grew up in a time where we went to school, but then after school, we went out into the real world and played and went outside. And, you know, and I think it was the exposure to some of that early on in my life, like, you know, neighborhood sports, like you had, you know, a 16 year old kid playing with the 12, you know, and maybe if there was an eight year old, that was a stud, it's like, Hey, come on, man, we'll kind of, you know, we'll let you be a part of what's kind of going on here. So you got a little bit of that kind of development, you know, that was necessary for life in your regular life outside of school, you were still subject to the system and you had to spend the eight hours a day. And I think I knew early on, like there's something not right about this much. Like you say, I learned to play school very early on. I figured out the system. What do I need to do to get the grades? And it got me there. And then when I got, you know, my first semester of college, it kind of like hit me upside the head. It's like, Oh, this is not actually how that system is going to be played. Uh, and I made an early decision uh, back then that that education part pathway wasn't going to be for me. It was going to be sales and entrepreneurship. And it's panned out pretty well for me, but you know, today's kids, it's like, they don't do that anymore. So they go to the system and then they just come home and then they oftentimes are sitting behind a device or a computer or, or, or a screen lacking any real kind of, kind of social connection. And I think that's a big pushback that a lot of people will say on homeschooling is your kids aren't going to be socialized. Like, what do you, what do you say to somebody that that's kind of their first line of, of pushback? Get back to the show in a second, guys. But real quick, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans aren't. And that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 300 biochemical reactions in your body. Today, I want to talk to you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate your magnesium deficient. Listen carefully to the end because there's going to be a special offer happening at the end of this that could be exactly what you need. Are you irritable or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? Do you have high blood pressure? Are you sometimes constipated? There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency, but these are just a few of the most common ones. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your problem because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body can't use or absorb. That's why I exclusively recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizer. It's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. All BioOptimizer supplements are the best in class, guys. I've been working with and using their products for over seven years now. For some reason, you feel differently. You can get a full refund, no questions asked. They're so confident in this that they're going to offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Just go to biooptimizers.com slash Frank Rich. And in addition, we're going to give you a discount if you use code Rich10 for 10% off. Once again, guys, visit biooptimizers.com forward slash Frank Rich or click the link down there in the show notes and use code Rich10 to receive 10% off your order today. I love, I love, and again, you're trained by the cult to say that, right? You're trained to actually feel that. Um, so, uh, and I get it all the time, man, and I love it. And then people meet my kids who are now, they've never gone anywhere that I didn't create, right? So I don't, 
we've moved out of California a couple of years ago. So for the last couple of years, um, they've just been home educated and people meet even yesterday when we were at, uh, we were at a public event yesterday and, and somebody was talking to my children and they came over like, what are you doing? Like, what? I don't understand why that, like, so your son is eight going on 25. This daughter right here is 11 and this one's 13, but they're both going on 30. Like what's going on? What are you doing? Right. How do you discipline your kids? Right. And I get that all the time. Right. And I'm like, no, I taught them to be disciplined humans. That's a, that's a different thing. Right. I don't discipline them. I've taught them to be disciplined humans. We're on this team family mission together and they're disciplined human beings. And you don't normally see that from kids and they can articulate that. They can speak to that because we're around people all the time. So when you're talking about socialization, I ask people what that means. People say, oh, well, what, aren't you worried about socialization? I am worried about socialization, but I'm worried about it for the kids that are in school. So, because what does it mean to be socialized? Well, it's to, to be able to, um, you know, essentially fit into a specific crowd in a, in a social function. Okay, cool. So if that's the definition, what's the crowd? Who, who is it? And do we want to fit into that crowd? I'm very intentional about the crowd that I have in my life. I'm very intentional, right? We, what, you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Cool. I'm going to cultivate the hell out of those five people. I'm going to cultivate the relationships that I keep. I'm going to get away from relationships that no longer serve me or move me towards a goal. I'm going to be very specific about that. But we have this thought that like, well, but for kids, we should just throw them into this, you know, mess of a population in a, and again, what we've already determined through in this conversation is a, uh, a false environment that doesn't map to life with a whole bunch of people from who knows what kind of background and the people that are going to speak into their life most may be a person that doesn't even like the job that they're in. And then, oh, the people that are going to speak into their life the most, my kid's five, it's going to be a bunch of other five-year-olds with all of the five-year-old wisdom that they have, right? And you're going to have like, and I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying to shelter your kids from any other conversations. What I'm saying is that's what you think socialization is. Whereas my kids, we're very particular. I have got people here all the time at the house. They're interacting with people. We're out in society. They're interacting with people everywhere we go. They're interacting through other activities that we cultivate. We're on family trips with other families and we're cultivating those relationships. They're calling uh, other businesses for their businesses. They're going to the store and they're doing the shopping. They're like the, the, They're preparing for a very different kind of life than other kids are. So the socialization thing is, um, man, again, I worry about socialization for sure, but only for the kids that are stuck in school. Yeah. As we're having this conversation, man, and you know, we're talking about this system and how it, you know, it prevents real, real development and it's the structure and the follow the orders and all this. I mean, I don't want to like, just kind of go on a complete tangent here, you know, and, and get too political with it, but it's like, it's very socialistic in its, in its development, right? You know, it's building kind of a socialist society. I think we're kind of seeing that play out, you know, where, like you mentioned, we're 120 years into the system and look at kind of what, you know, we're, we're experiencing in, you know, modern times right now. It's very anti-capitalist, you know, it's very anti-free thinker, free ideas, entrepreneurship. Is that a trait? I know you, you gave them there at the beginning of an educator. Like, is it, is this entrepreneurial spirit guided towards maybe 
education um, and how important is teaching that to kids? Yeah, it's extraordinarily important. It's part of it because entrepreneurship is a microcosm of life. Entrepreneurship is a microcosm of how life actually works, right? Like that's the benefit of sports too. Sports are a microcosm for life, right? And so individual personal responsibility matters in entrepreneurship. It matters in sports. The ability to collaborate matters in sports. It matters in entrepreneurship. The ability to see patterns and go, how do I win? How do I make this a win-win? How do I, like all of those things matter in sports, in entrepreneurship, and they matter in life. So yeah, that's, those are all extraordinarily important parts in what you're talking about. The system itself has become more and more narrowly focused. And again, not accidental. The system itself was not set up for human development, but over time, as the unions have gotten controlled by people who are very much more socialist and dare say sometimes communist, you know, by nature, um, they are narrowing the already narrow focus of what, you know, teachers can do. They're handcuffed. They've got less intellectual freedom in the classroom than they ever had when they were teaching us, like far less. They had less than when I was a, a public school teacher. Like there's less intellectual freedom and there are more and more agendas just trickling in as well, where you've got to go with some of this, you know, some of this craziness. And so the more everything is rewarded based on that, the less we're going to talk about things that matter, like what you're talking about with entrepreneurship. I mean, obviously, I'm assuming that you would say home-based education would be ideal and optimal for most people. You know, that, that would kind of be, you can create this environment, like what you've done with your kids. You bring in the right people, you bring in the right mentors, you cultivate, you know, a great environment at home. You get to learn, you get to see what dad's doing. You build kind of small-time businesses here. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to say that sounds great for you, but, you know, Due to just life where we're at right now, we we can't do that. So, what are some other educational systems out there that are outside of this conveyor belt? And what are we looking for? And then a follow up to that kind of two part question: What role does the home play? Right? Because I think parents think you go to school to learn. I can't teach any of this stuff because I don't know these things. So, what role does this should actually be two separate questions here? Now that I'm thinking about it, um, what role does you know homes and parenting play in the education development. So uh, there's um, there's almost a almost a circular answer that kind of hits hits a couple of things there. So one one of the things you said, you know, as far as the ideal, right, the home ed and all that kind of stuff, it, it is an ideal if the parents don't get sucked into trying to recreate the cult at home. A lot of parents, right, will try to bring school home as homeschooling. And then all of a sudden things aren't working and they're fighting and they're like, ah, this isn't working in our relationship because I'm trying to be the teacher and they're trying to be right. And, and they're not doing their work. And that's because you're trying to bring a cult that wasn't designed to optimize your life experience. And you're trying to drag that into your house. So I don't want to do that. That won't be optimal by any stretch of the imagination. So we don't want to do that. The looking for, I'm going to get back to the parents and the, and I'm going to kind of circle back to the parents and, and what it should and could and actually does look like. And people don't realize this. Um, so as far as like looking for, you're looking for a campus. Now, when you and I grew up alternative schools, right? Quote unquote alternative. It meant, well, shit, this kid's on his way to juvenile hall. Right. And so now there's a place where he can go and let's see if he goes to jail or not. Right. Um, all we're saying is take a look for something that is the alternative to what you now know as a slave system of school. So when you're looking at another campus, how closely does it mimic life? 
how closely do the experiences at that campus mimic the experiences that are going to be um, asked of you in life? Like life rewards you providing value and having a skill set and providing value and collaborating and all those meta skills. Does the school focus on that? Uh, because there are some great, like Montessori is great at an early, for an early age. I like Montessori up until about eight years old. Um, but, and, and if it is a more old school Montessori, you're going to be better off than the newer, like younger Montessori's tend to lean a little more on the woke side of things. Um, but Montessori can be great. I opened a couple of Acton academies. Those can be great. Um, Tim and I are launching about 50 Apogee campuses this coming fall. And we're going to look to do another hundred or so. And so we're launching these all throughout the U.S., uh, Canada, and Australia this fall. It, they very much mimic life in the real world. We focus on things like physical education, meaning actually working out, not freaking dodgeball. Right. So we focus on things like that. All the kids are going to build a business or take their business into perpetuity. They're going to be focused on projects that look like real world projects. They're going to be focused on Socratic uh, conversations so they can learn what to think or uh, how to think, not what to think. Right. Like this is how to actually articulate an argument. This is how to genuinely listen to somebody else. This is. Uh, how to present evidence. This is how to accept new evidence and figure out how to change your mind. This is uh, how to recognize a logical fallacy. This is like those kind of things matter. So a campus should represent what is needed in real life um, if it's anything worth its salt. And then circling back around to the parents again, no, you don't want to bring school home, but you are always and forever the primary educator in your child's life, period, end of story. If you're sending them somewhere else, that's fine. Just understand that you are partnering with somebody who may or may not be actually on your side. If you're sending them to somebody who is essentially like taking an enemy stance on stuff, then that's what you're doing. You're feeding your kid one thing on one side and you're doing the other. And like, you're going to find like, that's, you just have to realize who you're partnering with, but you're always and forever the primary educator. They will do what you do before they do what you say. Right. And people go, Oh, I'm not an educator. I'm not. No, you are the primary educator. You are. Where did you, where did you send them to learn to walk? Nowhere, nowhere. You didn't send them anywhere. They stayed with you. You walked, and as they started developing naturally and learning to walk, you held on to them. You're like, here you go, or you cheered them on as they started taking those steps, and then they fell, and you cheered on the failure so they knew they should get back up and they should do it again, right? And like, you are the primary educator. Can I ask you, Frank, do you have kids? Okay, so if, let's pretend, um, tomorrow you you you've got uh you've got a five-year-old okay this is your this is your kid Frank, you've got a five-year-old congratulations um we'll say you have a boy um what language does he speak english why would he speak english well because that's what i speak but i would actually probably because i know early on in their life they can learn languages quicker so i probably would be the parent that would want them to learn as many as possible maybe outsource some of that but the main language would absolutely be english because that's what we speak within the home because that's what you speak right and the reality is if you didn't speak 
um, you know, Chinese in the home, they're not going to speak Chinese, right? They're going to learn English. You're not going to send them to school to learn the English. He's going to learn it because he's around you. It's what you're speaking. You guys are going to go back and forth, right? That's how everything works. My kids, whether they went to a campus or not, they understand things like um, cash flow. They understand things like taking a look at a P&L. They understand things like business trusts and family trusts and private foundation. Why do they understand those things? Because it's what I do and we talk about it all the time. Like it literally is that simple. So what is the best way? What is the best way to ensure your child has a great education? You make sure you're an educated individual who's continuously upping your own education and then you simply bring them along with you. And so then anything that you're using, any sort of campus can be fine, just understand that that campus should just be a representation of what else you are doing. So that campus, if you're moving forward in life, you should have a campus that moves forward in life. If you have a campus that is fighting against the way you're trying to, well, shit, that's what you're, you know, that's what you're doing. And the last part of this, I know I'm getting, this is all my favorite stuff, man. So thank you for letting me rant um, a little bit. But the last part of what you, what you said is the people say, well, yeah, that's great for you but I can't right now. And I get that all the time. And look, I understand that it's not just as easy as going, oops, snap my fingers. And now I can change my entire life. I understand that. But I also have no sympathy for anybody who won't at least make an effort to figure out how they can optimize. I've got zero sympathy for it because I can give you the whole, hey, I used to live in a Toyota Corolla. I can give you that if you want. I can give you the I was a public school teacher and a public school administrator when I learned all this and then had to take, I took what was a seven-year period and worked seven days a week to not only leave the security of a six-figure job, but to take a job that only paid me $31,000. By the way, I was in California and I had a wife and children um, and she didn't work. So we made that work. While I built out two separate businesses, one that I could make money with, and two, the campuses that I wanted my kids to ultimately go to, and I worked seven days a week for seven years straight to make it happen. So I don't have any sympathy for somebody that says, well, I can't do it, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw the towel in right now. No, 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 no. What can we do now? Because your kids are freaking worth it. And let's continue to go down that, you know, go down that path. And I'm glad to help. Um, on that. It's why we're launching the campuses we're launching. It's why we're making those accessible by launching foundations and, and payment processing systems to build out scholarships. Like we are doing everything we can to make real education available. If a parent won't just sacrifice a little bit to try to do something for their kids, then I, I just, they're not my people, man. I got nothing for them. I love that, man. I love you brought in the personal responsibility component. Um, and yeah, we're going to get into all the things that you're doing and how the guys can kind of get involved and support. You know, I think the audience here obviously understands the continuing education part of their life, right? Like that's why they obviously listen to podcasts like these. That's why they clicked on an episode like this because there's something that they're seeing and they're trying to grow and improve in their life. You know, it's funny you brought up the like modeling of behavior. I was literally having that conversation with somebody earlier this morning at the gym. You know, so for me, Matt, big background in the health and fitness space. You know, I grew up kind of overweight, you know, little insecure, you know, salt, just big bone in this in the family. You know, that was kind of like uh, the excuse that everybody used. You know, I was fortunate to find the gym and find some great men in my life around the age of 15 that kind of shifted it for me. And I contribute a lot of the things that I've been able to do 
you know, through what I've learned in, in the gym. And, you know, you asked the question, do I have kids yet? No. Um, you know, life has kind of taken me in a couple of different paths. It's still what I pray about the most. And, you know, hopefully God does bless me. I think I found the right woman uh, that hopefully we can make that happen. But, you know, I got clear when I was looking for the person I was going to spend my life with, like she needed to have that as big as a part of her life as it is for me. Uh, Cause I want to model that behavior. You know, when I'm walking through the gym and I see a parent walk in with like a six week old or a six month old, it's like, I begin to light up because I'm like, this kid is learning such a fundamental part of, I think, life because I am an advocate and believer that fitness is a tool and it, and it needs to be a rock for so many people. I love seeing, you know, I train my nephew, you know, he's 13 years old now. Like my sister was very gracious to give him to me over the summer. We spent three days a week over the course of the entire summer as this young boy who's got aspirations to play professional sports. Like I'm teaching him the training part, but with all that is he's learning to be a disciplined human being. Uh, you know, I'm teaching how to shake men's hands. I'm teaching how to communicate and, and, and pass off these life lessons to him. I think for me, and I know everybody's going to have their different things. Maybe it's not always going to be the rocket fitness, but like I literally was saying today, like I'm so happy that I found the woman that, that makes that a priority because our kids are going to see mom and dad in the garage or at the gym or in the sauna or in the cold plunge. And from an early age, they're going to need to model that behavior. Bingo. That's exactly it. And, and, there is, um, I'm a firm believer that time is either invested uh, or it's wasted. Um, I look, I take a look at this life as, as kind of where, you know, it's part of why we named our company Apogee, right? Because Apogee means getting to the top, getting to the peak, getting to um, the, the summit, right? And I think we're always on that, on that uphill swing. If you, are, if you are investing time, you're always on the way up. And the way I frame it is, is kind of like you're um, almost like you're up on a, in a wagon where as long as you keep moving forward, you're good to go. But the minute you kind of stop and get distracted, it starts to roll backwards a little bit, right? Like I think we're called to just keep going up and down that mountain. I think we're called to go up the mountain, reach up to those that have come before us and let them pull us a little bit, but also reach down and serve those that are not quite yet. Right. I think that's the way it's supposed to look. And, um, that's the hero's journey, isn't it? That's the hero's journey, man. That's exactly what it is. You know, and, um, my friend, Mike, a gentleman named Mike Glover, who listeners may know, you know, Mike, um, said to me at one point, he says, you know, perfection, and this is something we've adopted now for Apogee, he says, you know, perfection is not possible, but it should always remain the standard. And I very much have taken that into account for every single thing that we do. So every roadmap that we build for any of the, you know, any of our programs, which are a microcosm of how Tim and I strive to lead our own lives, is how do we optimize this part? So we talk about personal psychology. How do we optimize our own personal psychology? We're talking about health. How do we optimize our health? We're talking about relationships. How do we optimize our marriage? How do we optimize a relationship with our kids? How do we opt? Any man worth his salt is going to take a look and go, how do I optimize any of the areas that matter? How do I optimize my financial situation? How do I optimize? Like that all only comes through continuous push for education. That's what growth is. The minute you stop trying to optimize in any area of life, you're in that wagon and you're sliding backwards. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. You know, you gave a little backdrop there of, you know, you painted this picture of, you know, your trajectory through the early stages of, of your career. You probably found this system that, that worked for you. You said, this is the pathway to get to the top of this, you know, public school. I think you said administrator, you know, making six figures in the education system is, uh, a rare thing, right? Like, like that means you're obviously at, at the top of, of, of the game. Was there something that, that woke you up? Like, was there a defining moment? And what was that? There were a number of things. Remember, we're talking about patterns. 
So really what woke, it wasn't a, as much of an awakening as it was a finally grabbing my, you know, grabbing myself and just being like, all right, it's time to be brave enough to do what I've always known. I tell people my journey in education started when I was a four-year-old in kindergarten. Because when I was four in kindergarten, I saw the game of school. I recognized a pattern playing out early and I went, hmm, okay, this is a game. All right, let me figure out how to do this. By eight years old, I had figured out that I would never not get straight A's and that I really wouldn't have to work hard to do it. Not because I'm that smart, but because I saw the pattern of how to win this game. And so that was something that it wasn't changing. I saw it at Stanford. I could see the pattern and I'm like, ah, gosh, but I wasn't brave enough to stand up against it. So I'm like, okay, well, how do I help it? I'm going to help within the system. So I'm going to be the public school teacher. And then I was the public school teacher, like I said, that was creatively insubordinate, but I was causing a whole bunch of hand slap and I wasn't able to make the impact that I wanted to make because I was in this system as an administrator. Like, wait, it's really not about the kids. This is really about funding. I can't do this. So I go private thinking, well, since private doesn't have to play by the rules, that's going to be better. No, it's the same system a lot of times, right? So it was finally the ability to get brave enough to do something and create something versus complaining. It was the need to create versus continuous consume. And it was my kids. My oldest daughter was at the point where she was going to have to go somewhere. And I couldn't even look myself in the face anymore because I was like, man, you're perpetuating something you don't believe in. And you're doing that to other kids. It doesn't matter that I was having a positive impact. I was in something that I did not believe in anymore for my own integrity. I couldn't stay there. To have my daughter go into that when I didn't believe in it, there was no way in hell I could look myself in the mirror while sending her into a fire that I knew was a fire. I could not look myself in the face. And so I remember sitting, um, I had downloaded this thing from a, a gentleman named Seth Godin. Um, I don't know if anybody knows who he is. Seth is a brilliant human, um, has become somewhat of a mentor of, of mine. He wrote uh, something called Stop Stealing Dreams. It was kind of this manifesto. I was a school administrator. I was on the verge of having to figure something out because my daughter was getting ready to go into school. I printed out this manifesto. I sat in the parking lot of the school and read the entire thing before I went home. And I made that decision right then and there. Not only was I not sending my daughter into the fire, I could no longer go into the fire and keep you know, adding to the flames. I was going to need to go create something, if not for anybody else, at least for her. Um, and so I told them the next day, hey, I'm finishing out this year contractually. Um, and then I got to do my own thing. You took the ultimate, you know, entrepreneurship leap, right? You know, jump out of the plane and we're going to build a parachute on the way down. On the way down. Damn straight. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What role, Matt, has your faith uh, played in this? I know you're a strong man of, of, of God and, um, you know, I assume you look at him to kind of guide, you know, your steps daily. Uh, what, what role has he played in the development of these schools and everything that you're doing and creating? That has been um, such an not just a powerful part, but an interesting part because, um, you know, again, being the curious person that I am, um, I don't do a good job with just, oh, this is what everybody does and this is what everybody says. So I guess I'll just kind of go along with the status quo. I don't do well with that. Um, so as I dove in to, I grew up like, I call it like diet Catholic. I grew up diet Catholic. Like you just go on the holidays, right? But I didn't know anything. Um, I didn't, it was just, you know, whatever. So then I get to college and I was in college when I actually went, okay, you know what, if I got to figure out is, 
if this God thing is, is a real thing, I got to figure out who this is. And if he is, why are there so many different religions? I'm going to explore all of them. I'm going to take a look at everything. So I went down the rabbit hole, every single thing that I could find, anything that I could think of, right? But eventually I got to the point I was even running Christian schools. The last conveyor belt school that I was at was a Christian school. But I was still curious. I'm still pushing. I started getting involved in translating the original like Dead Sea Scrolls, like translating from Hebrew. And so even doing that, I'm translating and I'm like, Ooh, this is like, this is amazing. And also like the NIV or the ESV or the King James, like it, it actually, this reads differently to me too. So I'm going to pastors like locally and I'm like, Hey, this reads a little different. I think this is cool. Like, shouldn't we explore this? And they're like, nah, that's going to drive people crazy. We need to stick with these things and these messages. I'm like, Oh, so like I started to see even systems playing out, you know, even on in the quote unquote in the church. And I'm not, and again, phenomenal humans who are teachers, phenomenal pastors, phenom- all of that, all of that's real. Um, but for me, man, it's just been this deep dive and now translating for a decade and working with groups translating. And so it is like one of the things that I, I don't talk about it as much, but man, it has been wildly powerful. The more I get to know God, the more I realize I know nothing uh, about him, me or anybody else. And, um, and it's been the most fascinating journey ever, man. It is the other thing that I geek out about. No, amen to that, man. And, you know, uh, similar, but yet kind of different, you know, pathway and journey to kind of get here. You know, I, we did the holiday thing a couple of times. It was, we were always late and, you know, you had to put a tie on we sat it back and we felt, you know, out of place. And it was like, I thought very early on, I, I recognized that there were church people and our family wasn't them, but I was always curious, just like you, man, I'm sure you can kind of get that in, in, in today's conversation. I, I really feel a strong connection here, but um, you know, I got into personal development and I was reading, you know, Buddhist and meditation and stoic philosophy. And, you know, I, I never went deep down the conversation with God and really until I was around 35 years old. And, you know, I do identify as a Christian today. I, I attend a church, but much like you is I go there for one thing and then I kind of have my own exploration, you know, on, on, on my own. Um, have you, I guess, I, and I hope that this is an okay question. This may piss a lot of people off. Have you seen patterns uh, from the school system and how that's kind of become this conveyor belt? with church and religion kind of this hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it, this will, you know, I'm sure this will ruffle some feathers and I, I don't intend for it to do this, but um, it's the same. So have you ever been in that classroom, you know, maybe a lot of the listeners can, can relate to this. You've been in the classroom and you've got that one kid who raises his hand. Right. And he's like, why do we have to do this? Mm-hmm. Right. And what does the teacher say? Because I said so, or because this is just what everybody does, or this is right. Whatever the, the, the answers were all, you know, various, uh, it was really the kind of like variations of the same answer of just like, I don't know, this is just what we're doing. And this is where we go. I see that a lot in the church. Um, I see it very much in the church. This is what church people do. And this is what, but please, dear God, don't question anything. Um, right. It's just, here is the system is the system. So when I, so part of our, our men's and women's programs on the Apogee side, we have a a spiritual focus for, for a month and we team it up with communication and we have them steel man their own beliefs, right? And steel manning is the process of trying to prove a counter argument correct. So that's a whole different thing because then it gets you into, we're not like, well, my faith is this, mine is this, and let's fight about it. No, it's where might you be missing the boat? 
like and let's let's see what we can do and by the way Yisrael means to contend with to wrestle with right like we're supposed to do that we're supposed to question i don't see that very often in the church and so this is part of what i got pushed back on was like i would go and say wait a second What's the name above all names? Well, everybody just, uh, Jesus. And Jesus just becomes the answer to every, okay, good, sweet. I went to a pastor and I went, wait a second, hold on. Just thinking through this, you realize there was no, and I, and actually, did I see you were on, were you on Brad's show, Brad Lee's? I was on Brad's, yeah. Okay, so I know Brad, right? And Brad recently came out and said something very similar to this. And I'm like, I know, I've had this experience where it's like, I actually went, wait a second. There's no way he was actually named Jesus. Like he, like the letter J wasn't even a, a letter. And I'm not saying that's important. It's not important. What I'm saying is factually during his life, nobody ever called him that. Why don't we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Everybody's like, nah, don't say it. Don't. And people get mad at me. Like people get mad at me. I'm like, that's a Google search away, man. Like, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know what to tell you about that. I just think it's an interesting conversation. Can we have a conversation about it? And that's the pattern I see is that you're not allowed to question a lot of times in church, right? Um, it says very clearly in the Bible, there are certain things that it says very clearly, like says Passover, celebrate Passover forever. It uses the word forever. It doesn't go until it doesn't go, Hey, when it uses the word forever. Cool. So I went to a pastor and just said, hey, it says forever. Like we all can agree December 25th, like he wasn't actually born there. Where did that come from? Like that, well, shoot, if you go down the rabbit hole of where December 25th comes from, that's not, that's not always going to be a good thing. So why do we celebrate that here? But this says forever. How do we put those together? I'm just saying, let's have a conversation. The pattern usually is, those kinds of conversations are not uh, allowed and they're very much frowned upon and you become the pariah for bringing those. So that's the pattern that I see that I don't love. Well, well, yeah, I mean, you have, you know, in today's time, you know, you have a church institution, all churches comprised of people that have gone through the conveyor belt education system being taught not how to think, what to think. So if we go here to learn these things, we go here to learn these things. We're never taught how to question, how to reason, how to kind of bring up our own kind of uh, theories around some of these things. So this must be right over here. And if there is that person that's questioning it, just like the kid at school, that's, you know, asking that question and he's told to shut up, sit down, sent to detention. It's like same thing over here. You can't ask those type of questions, shut up, sit down. You don't belong here type of thing. And I just think that does a disservice to us. It does a disservice to our relationship with God. We're trying to, you know, like, he he wants us to to dive in to get to know him and we like to say the uh, it's real it's about relationship and not really okay cool well i know my wife's name if i called her something else i think that's weird right i know her real birthday if i was like now nah, i'm gonna celebrate it on this day and i'm gonna call it, my wife's name is heather i'm like i'm gonna call you rebecca and and i know your birthday's in july i'm gonna celebrate it in november um i'm gonna like I just, I don't know, man. I think those are at least worth having the conversations, right? We talk about, you know, we say the Father, the Son, and the, and we say Holy Spirit. Cool. Well, in Hebrew, it's the set apart spirit. And hey, here's something interesting. I didn't do this. This is a fact. You can look up and figure out what to do with yourself. But the set apart spirit, as it's written in the original Dead Sea Scrolls in Hebrew, it's feminine. 
it's a it's feminine. I didn't control that. I didn't make that up. If you don't like that, because you've always looked at the quote unquote Holy Spirit as a third part of a male trend, cool. Then you go talk to God about it or not, but it's feminine. Do with it what you will, right? But nobody, people don't like that because it goes against what everybody's talking about and whatever, right? Like, that's where I mean, like, it takes bravery to be curious. Mm, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Matt, I appreciate you kind of going kind of off topic there a little bit, but I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, bringing it all kind of kind of home here. You know, you've talked about Apogee. I think it's you and Tim Kennedy. You know, you got a couple kind of campuses right now. You mentioned launching 50 here this this up, up, upcoming fall. You know, quick kind of, you know, with the time remaining time that we have left, you know, what is the Apogee programs? Uh, where can we kind of find more and, and how can the guys maybe, you know, look at, you know, is it something that's going to be you know good for them or if they want to get behind it and kind of support it? There's a lot of great ways uh, that people can get involved here as well. I appreciate that very much, man. We're, we're essentially trying to build out a an entire ecosystem um, for for education for the entire family. Um, and so all of our all of our facets or programs or components all can stand alone. Uh, but they all very much work together as well. So we've got, you know, our virtual mentorship program for men. And that's where we really do take a deep dive down all of these specific components, learn how to optimize all these. And this is not a Matt and Tim thought this would be cool thing. This is a cool man. Well, we're on the business side. Um, we teamed with, you know, Hormozy and Frizella and guys that are just ninjas in these areas to help build the challenges. And then by the way, those are the kind of guys that come in every week as mentors. Um, like we have Andrew Shaw coming in tomorrow as a behavior psychologist. And then next week we have Tulsi Gabbard. And then next week we have Joe DeSena. And then next, like we just, we bring in the best of the best of the best to meet with our people. Right. So we've got our men's program that's built that way. Our women's program built that way. Our young men's program is built that way. We're building out our young women's just like that. We've got our home education uh, group that uh, we got about 250 families that we bring through home education We've got all of our physical campuses launching. We've got our live events that are launching this year. Um, we have an entire payment processing system that we developed so that businesses can use that instead of like PayPal or Stripe. And we don't make any money on that. The money goes into our 501c3. The 501c3 exists to scholarship people to be able to attend these programs and campuses so we can make it available to anybody and everybody. Apogee University uh, will be ready to rock and roll within a couple of years. You know, we've got partnerships with companies all over the world, um, opportunities for our family. So we're really putting all those things together to regain sovereignty and freedom. I love that. And that's at uh, Apogee? ApogeeStrong.com. Yeah, we'll have the website updated with a lot of those things um, more by the end of this month too. So, um, But I'm always happy to help people wherever I can. And even if it's pointing them in a direction that's not with us, if I can help somebody, I'm going to help somebody. That's part of the ethos of just who we are as an organization too. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, guys, we'll have the links down for all of that. Uh, ApogeeStrong.com. Matt, if you guys want to, you know, maybe connect with you, uh, you know, maybe obviously follow what you're doing online, great content on the IG side. Uh, where are you hanging out? Where are you spending, you know, most of your time here socially online? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, IG is probably where I'm most active personally. So just at my name, at Matt Bodro. But you get, I mean, if anybody really needs some help, shoot me an email, man. Matt at ApogeeStrong.com. Um, and again, even if it's not within anything we're doing, 
if I can help somebody and, you know, and help a good man, you know, go in a good direction and introduce him to somebody or something, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. Incredible, man. Uh, guys, we'll have all that plugged down there in the show notes. Uh, last and final question here, Matt, uh, we love to end every single episode here with the same question. Uh, obviously the title of our show is called the Superman life. You know, for me, this has kind of been almost a five-year journey, you know, curiosity driven, exploring so many different things. You know, we talked about a few of them here today. You know, I believe there's five pillars for a man to kind of optimize his life in that's faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom. But I believe that living a superhuman life uh, comes with, A, the understanding or belief that you are here for a purpose. You know, God created every single one of us with some unique gifts. You know, I talked about coaching, educator, maybe you and I are kind of operating in that realm right now, but it just doesn't stop in knowing what that is. We have to be down that continuous growth and developments of those skills to ultimately give it back to the world and kind of make this better for, for all of us. So that's how I kind of define living a superhuman life, but I love that you'd always get guest take as we wrap up uh, the show. So Matt, Matt Boudreaux, as we end today's conversation, how would you define living a superhuman life? Gosh, man, I love that. I, I'm going to add another F to that, man. Focus. And, and it's, so it's add an F focus and I'm going to take, I'm going to do another F to avoid and that's fear, right? So I, I think um, we talk a lot about uh, not living in fear, but most people very much do so. And it's because I think people uh, look too much at the, well, what do I need to do? And then that can get intimidating and that can get fearful. I think if you wake up and ask yourself a different question, it's who do I want to be? Like, who do I need to be? Right. Wake up and ask yourself that every day. Then you're going to go ahead and do the things that that person will do. Right. So it's, who am I designed to be? Who do I need to be? How do I optimize that person's life? Um, and what you're, you know, what you said, I think is a great definition of that. So that's, that's where I would go with that for a superhuman life, man. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, Matt has been a real honor, man. I, I truly feel, you know, we're, we're aligned in many of the things that we're doing. I'm kind of segmented here, uh, you know, with helping the guys on the recovery side of things, but, uh, you know, aiming at the same thing building stronger men so we can build stronger communities and we can build a stronger world uh, and pass that on to the, the next generation. So, so glad we got connected, man, and uh, looking forward to support everything that you guys are doing out there with Apache Strong. Uh, guys, make sure to connect with Matt, check out the site, follow him on IG. If you got value out of this episode, you can support us in one of two ways. First off, head over to Apple or Spotify, wherever you're consuming this, and please do leave a five-star rating and review. will allow us to get this message out there to more people, to bring on bigger guests just like Matt here to continue to support you in your growth. Uh, but if there's a man in your life that maybe needs to hear some of this, maybe there's a young father, maybe there's somebody that you know is wrestling with some of these things, do us a favor and do them the blessing by sharing today's conversation with them. But for Matt Boudreaux, your host, Coach Frank Rich here. Love you guys. See you next week.